I'm going to get directly into the word of the Lord today. Our theme this year is to feel the passion. And I have told you over and over in as many ways as I can creatively and inventively suggest that passion is the key to every breakthrough. There are people who move God to act in their circumstance because they acted with great passion. And whether it's in business, whether it's in leadership of any kind, your family passion is what makes the vital and contributing difference that brings your family or your business to the forefront and kicks it up to another level. Now, I have an important word to deliver today, and I want to do it quickly, and so I'm going to need you to listen fast. Amen. I'm going to talk fast. I need you to listen fast, and we're going to get a lot done. I don't want to be like that preacher known, that pastor known for his lengthy sermons, who noticed a man get up and leave during the middle of his message, and the man returned just before the conclusion of the message. Afterward, as the pastor was greeting people and they were leaving, the pastor asked the man where he had gone, and he said, I went to get a haircut, was his reply. But, said the pastor, why didn't you do that before the service? And the guy said, because I didn't need one when you started preaching. If you just preached so long, I'd, I needed a haircut and a shave, amen. But be able to make it through. I mean, I want to get right into the word of the Lord. And our, our, our verse for this year has been Ecclesiastes 9 and 7. It says, seize life. Wow. Such a tremendously impacting and significant principle. Life doesn't come looking for you. you got to go looking for it. You just don't sit around and hitchhike hoping life will come by. And then in Hebrews 4, the writer says that we have a great high priest who, unlike the others of ancient Israel, ours can be touched. Ancient Israel, you didn't touch the high priest. You couldn't shake hands with him. You couldn't hug him. The reason for that was is if you had accidentally become ceremonially impure, your touching him would then transfer and impart your impurity to him and render him unfit for fulfilling his ministerial obligations both to God and to the nation. And so literally you couldn't touch the high priest. You couldn't, you couldn't approach him. Our high priest is different. He has such a reservoir of holiness and ability that you touch him all you want. I mean, whatever your need is, you're not going to diminish him because he's such an inexhaustible supply. And he goes on to say that he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Let us, therefore, come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. And I have pointed out that sooner or later in the course of your life, this is not a prediction, it is an observation. Based upon the lives of everybody who's gone before me and you, you're going to need divine help before it's all over with someday, some fashion, form, or other. Now I'm turning to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is one of the most extraordinary books in all of the Bible. It really is. Its message is relevant to today in a way that it is desperately needed and needs to be communicated. It is a message of leadership. Nehemiah 1 verses 5 through 11, and I said, Nehemiah is praying now, 
I pray, Lord God of heaven, oh, great and awesome God. I'll just pause and say, you know, I never tell James and them what to sing, but they just sang that song, Our God is Awesome. They had no idea what my text was going to be. And God and I have this little thing going on where he just keeps making me laugh because he'll do stuff like this. And I'll walk in and they'll be using the very words I'm going to use in my message. And you are a great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. That is an extraordinary verse. In a world where people are more and more reticent to accept responsibility for anything, it amazes me that Nehemiah, who had been carried into Babylon as a little bitty boy, whose parents had been killed in Jerusalem in the siege in which Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army had come to ransack the city, it is amazing to me that he would accept responsibility for something he was too young to even really be participating in. I mean, just this week, I watched the head. I, I'm going to lay some stuff out. I just want to warn you in advance. If you are sensitive about political issues, I'm offering you a caveat right now. Uh, you need to get your fingers ready and plug up your ears at certain delicate points in the course of my message. Now, I'm not going to apologize for that, and I don't mean that unkindly. I think there comes a time when, as a pastor, I've got to speak with a prophetic voice. And prophecy is more about, it's, it's more than just forth, foretelling, telling you what's coming this week. You know, I want a word of prophecy. I want to know what's going to happen in my life. Sometimes prophecy is not foretelling, it's forthtelling. Amen. And did you see that this week where the head of the IRS, as they've been investigating this, this committee on what's going on with this attack of the IRS against these, these 501c3s and religious organizations and groups, that took a position they didn't like and, and all these emails lost and everything and they said we haven't heard one word of apology and he had the audacity to say I'm not even going to apologize. That is the exact opposite spirit that Nehemiah is communicating. He wasn't even around when the problem developed that caused Israel to be carried away into captivity, wasn't old enough to be responsible at least for any of it, and yet he assumes responsibility and prays an identificational prayer of repentance on behalf of the nation. And that's one of the most important and significant ways to touch God. You want to touch God in intercession, don't be trying to cover up all your stuff. Not only be willing to admit it, he knows where your emails are. Amen. He knows what happened to them when they disappeared too, amen, and why they disappeared. And he knows if it was really a hard drive crash or you crashed, amen. You hear what I'm saying? But go ahead and accept responsibility. We, the church, need to accept responsibility for some of the things that are going on in this nation. I'm just talking to you right now. And he got God's attention, and he said, we have acted very corruptly against you. And have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, 
The word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for your name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Now, what is extraordinary about this verse is that we got lots of folk that can identify the problems. Some people even feel that's their mission in life to go around finding problems, you know, pointing out flaws, what's wrong. We don't have nearly as many that volunteer to try to fix it. Yeah, I'm just being real with you right now. That's, that's, that's a status of, of the nation. Lots of people can point fingers. Nehemiah not only diagnosed the problem, he then stepped up and said, I'm volunteering myself to be used by you, Lord. Let me find favor. I'm getting ready to go before this king here. Give me an opportunity to use this position I have to fix the problem your people are in. He was able to see in the middle of the problem an opportunity in which to fix it. Amen. There's always a door in the middle of a problem. You need to realize that. And oftentimes the way to the next level is not run from the problem. It's to find the door that's in the middle of that problem. Now, Jerusalem is in ruins because of the sins of Israel. And in verses 5 through 10, Nehemiah prays for God's forgiveness and favor to return upon the nation. And then in verse 11 volunteers himself to be used by God to fix the plight of Jerusalem and his nation. Incredible keys to incredible breakthroughs. Today I want to talk to you about Nehemiah and how he moved God by providing in a time of great need extraordinary leadership. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you to speak a word to us right now that will inform us, that will challenge us, that will inspire us a word that will be relevant and where we are right now, not to entertain us, Lord, not to even stimulate us intellectually, for God knows that doesn't last very long at all. Rather, we need the inspiration of your spirit and you to speak to us through the power of your anointing and your presence. In Jesus' name, do it for your glory. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Extraordinary leadership moves God to act extraordinarily. We spoke the last couple of Sundays on extraordinary intercession and how it moves God to act extraordinarily. Every person here today is a leader in some way or other. Whether we realize it or not, we're all leaders. You may or may not be leading a business or an organization. You might not be leading a Fortune 500 company. Your budget may not be so many billions of dollars or whatever, but trust me, you are leading someone even if you don't realize you are. Amen. I hold in my hand a card. I think probably Mark is in this building. Mark, if you are, um, I just want to tell you this. Bless me. 
Um, this is from a young man that's had chemical dependency problems, and I, I will tell you, he's not afraid to admit it, been in and out of prison on a number of occasions, and chemical dependency almost messed up his life. He handed me this card last Sunday, and this is what he said, and I read this not to call attention to me, but to show you that you can be leading in a way that you don't even know you're leading in. I certainly never realized this when I was talking with Mark on the occasions when we visited together. He said, thanks for being the father I never had. Thank you for preaching, for delivering the messages God gives you. Thank you for telling me personally, Mark, I'm proud of you when I obtained my license as a chemical dependency counselor. His problem that had almost destroyed his life finally got so bad that he said enough is enough and he addressed his problem head on and said it stops right now. And not only did he do that, he said I'm going to let my mess become my message and my test become my testimony. And he went on to get his degree in chemical dependency counseling to help others who are involved in the same thing that he almost destroyed his life. And then this is what I want you to hear. When you told me this, that I'm proud of you, I heard something from you, my spiritual father, I never once heard from my biological father. And when I read that, my heart ached because then I understood why he had had the struggles he's had all of his life. As you prayed for me, God is making the devil regret that he ever attacked me as he's done. You want to fix the devil for messing up your life? Turn what he's brought you into that almost destroyed your life into a ministry that helps others that are going through it right now. Perhaps you're leading your family, only your own family as a mother or father or a grandparent, yet the truth of the matter is, while that is not heralded as being necessarily the most significant office of leadership, it is, in my mind, the single most important office of leadership that exists in our world today. To be a father, a mother, a grandparent, and to use that capacity wisely is a very important role to feel. Perhaps you're a teacher in school, a coach, or just somebody's friend, if so, then you're a leader. Or maybe it's just somebody like Mark that you meet in the aisle and smile and say, pray for you, I'm proud of you. You congratulate them. You don't know, but what a smile, a handshake, a pat on the back may be what they need to help them be able to redeem what the enemy has messed up of their lives. You may be leading and not even know it. And history remembers great leaders. Yes, it does. History remembers great leaders. You won't remember every name of everybody that you've ever read about in history, but I can name some that immediately are familiar. If I mention the name George Washington, Mahatma Gandhi, Winston Churchill, Martin Luther King Jr., these are all names that resonate within the conscious awareness of every person in this building today. Some of you in the Hispanic community, it was his name, not the boxer Cesar Chavez, the, the one in California that was the leader of reformation for the migrant workers there protesting for better working conditions. There, there are people like that. Their names are embraced. 
because they volunteered themselves as did Nehemiah to pay a price to help change things. They didn't just sit back and say, here's a problem. They stepped up to the plate and said, God, use me to help me fix the problem. Amen. And yet today, there exists at almost every level of society a dearth of good leaders. Amen. I'm serious. There has never been a time, perhaps in the history of our world or our nation when good leadership has been so absent. Whether it's in government, whether it's in the corporate world, and I'm not going to draw any favorites today, so I told you if I upset you, I'm warning you in advance. Whether it's Pennsylvania Avenue or the Capitol or the Senate or whatever it is, corporations, we need leadership. God knows we need some Nehemiahs in our, our world. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Amen. At every other level, we need leaders. It seems the people who are in charge today, and I'm not even identifying a particular party. I don't care if it's Democrat or Republican or who it is. It seems that the people that are in charge don't, don't care about anybody but, those, uh, uh, but themselves. They're certainly not looking back at the people that are following. Come on, help me out here. Whether it's City Hall in Houston with some of these pontifications of our mayor or whatever it may be. We need leadership at this hour like we've never needed it in the history of mankind. Amen. I couldn't believe it a few years ago when the government bailed out all those big companies after they had made all these bad decisions based on greed that almost destroyed not only them but us and the nation that we live in. I mean multi-leveraging to such an extent that by the time they were done, the whole house of cards collapsed and the economy is in a tailspin and a recession is hit and, and we're upside down in our mortgages and homes are being repossessed. There are people in this building who walk through literal hell because somebody in Madison Avenue or Fifth Avenue made decisions based on what was better for them than what, what was best for investors and stock stockholders and even the nation. Amen. That's right. 401ks were affected and, and fortunes affected. Retirement wiped out. People working 10 years longer than they had planned to work because somebody got greedy. And then our government comes along, heaven help me, and volunteers to bail out those companies. Now, you may agree or disagree, but look, I got a hand. I, I made a few mistakes. Somebody put something in my hand too. But the real problem, the icing on the cake is this. Then after we bailed them out with my tax money and yours, you know what they did? The same CEOs that made the bad decisions turned around and awarded themselves multi-million dollar bonuses at the end of the year. I'm sorry, fee fi fo thumb. I wanted to go postal on somebody. Amen. My message may not make me popular, but I'm gonna say it like it is right now. I'm sorry, I'm kinda like the comedian. I've got the right to remain silent, I just don't have the ability right now. I need to say something about what is going on in this nation. We need leaders in the hour in which we live. Yes, we do, yes we do. Nehemiah was one of the greatest leaders of Bible times. 
And what was amazing is that he started out as a slave in a foreign city to a pagan king that was something else just in and of himself. Talk about taking the ball behind your own goal line or goal post. Nehemiah, his city had been wiped out, the temple destroyed, the walls raised, and I mean that R-A-Z-E-D, not R-A-I-S-E-D, torn to the ground, and everybody killed, massacred, except for these children, and they're brought over to Babylon to be re-indoctrinated because the growing Babylonian machine, the Babylonian empire, constantly is needing uh, new leadership to come out of the other end of the assembly line, the production line here, so they're taking these kids from these nations they've conquered, Reindoctrinating them, brainwashing them, and then putting them in positions of responsibility to help the increasing demands of the Babylonian Empire. Nehemiah was one of these. And in the middle of the worst circumstance where most folk would have been griping and complaining, he didn't even do anything to make it happen, but he assumed responsibility anyway. Instead of complaining about what he's going through, that somebody else cause to happen to him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I didn't ask for this. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't make this choice. I, I didn't make this decision, but I'm paying for somebody else's mistake. You know what he did? He found a way to fix the problem. Mm. God give us leaders that just don't talk about the problem. Give us leaders that can find a solution to the problem. Instead of blaming everybody else, why don't they say the buck stops here? I don't care who it is. We've got leaders that can't even reach across a narrow aisle in Congress to try to work with each other. We need leadership. God knows we need leadership. Uh, I, I, I just need, to, I, I just need to, 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 to lay a foundation here and, and to talk to you for just a few minutes. Ezra and Nehemiah are actually one book in the Hebrew Bible. You may not know that. And the reason they're one book is because they're part of the same story. In fact, the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther all come out of the same general period of Israel's history. Other contemporaries who have books named after them in the Bible to these individuals are Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. All of these were people who lived in the same contemporary era of time as did Nehemiah, Ezra, and Esther. In our Bible, you will notice it's Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Amen. When actually in the correct chronological order, it's Esther came first, then Nehemiah, then Ezra. There's a reason for that. And you need to know that it all started out with Esther and she appeared in Babylonian captivity just a little bit beyond the halfway mark of the Babylonian captivity period, which Daniel had said would be 70 years, a little bit beyond the 35-year mark, she marries Darius, this little orphan girl, another young lady who could have complained about the sad state of affairs that she found herself in and her ill fortune and all the bad things that happened she didn't have anything to do with, orphan because of mistakes others had made. Uh-uh, she uses the, 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 the seriousness of her circumstance and is exalted by God's grace, and she out of the problem finds a throne. Oh, Lord, have mercy. God help us to find the throne in the middle of our problem. Instead of griping about it, it may be God brought you through what you're going through right now because he intends to raise you up to another level. And what's important is that we never would have heard of 
Nehemiah or Esther if they had stayed in Jerusalem and the city had never been attacked. Sometimes what you go through is responsible for lifting you up to where others know about you. Amen. And causing your promotion. Now God raised up Esther and it was her husband, King Ahasuerus, that Mordecai serves as cupbearer to. And uh, this, her husband, King Ahasuerus of Persia, is the same Artaxerxes that we read about in the opening chapters of Nehemiah. I'm going to give you some Bible trivia you may not be aware of. It was this pagan king, this godless king, who gave the command for Nehemiah to return to Jerusalem and build up the walls of the city and not only build it, actually funded the endeavor. Amen. Now, what you don't realize is the God who knows what's coming 10 years from now, 100 years from now, that knows what's coming 100 centuries from now, has already put the pieces of the puzzle in place to fix the problem that has now been created. Amen. So he's moved Esther into Babylon too. And guess what happens? She is now raised to the position of being this guy's wife. In fact, an interesting observation is found in Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 6. When Nehemiah went to the king, it says, quote, And the king said to me, parentheses, the queen sitting beside him, end of parentheses, end of quote, Do you know who that queen was? That was Queen Esther, baby. God had put her there because he knew Nehemiah was coming along. All of this had been worked out before the problem ever had been diagnosed. You need to know that you serve a God who knows the ending from the beginning. Ah, I'm preaching to you right now. Preach, Pastor Heard. Thank you. I believe I will. You need to know that God's already fixed it before you ever entered into it. You need to know God's already made a way before you ever needed a way. Now let me mess you up a little bit and confuse you. Neither Artaxerxes nor Ahasuerus are actually the name of this king. I thought he was named King Ahasuerus. I thought he was named King Artaxerxes. I thought they were two different people. No, actually, that is what is so confusing. Both Ahasuerus and Artaxerxes are actually titles. Artaxerxes means the great king, and Ahasuerus means the venerable father. These were not the king's given names at all. It may or may not be helpful to you in reading this to know that this Artaxerxes and Ahasuerus are the same person, but not only the same person, they're Darius the Mede that you read about in the book of Daniel. Hmm. Now let's bring some things together. You want to know who Darius was? You remember that movie Sparta, the 300? Okay, that guy that was so bad, that's Esther's husband. And you thought you were married to something else on wheels. Amen. Uh-huh. You don't know what God might lead you through to be able to fix something that's coming late. Oh, Lord, do I feel it working in this building. Amen. And then to add to the confusion, the Artaxerxes in the book of Nehemiah is not the same Artaxerxes as in the book of Ezra. Now, are you really messed up? Amen. Remember, Artaxerxes simply means great king. At any rate, in the history of these people, Esther, as an instrument of God's grace, was sent to the throne of Persia and so moved the heart of her husband, the king, that is already God is already positioning to have the people of Israel be able to return for their, the restoration of their city in the house of God. She so moves her husband that this king 
funds Nehemiah, his cupbearer, to return to Jerusalem and then begin to build the, the, rebuild the city. It is 25 years later when Zerubbabel returns to Jerusalem after Nehemiah has rebuilt the city with about 50,000 of the captives from Babylon, as is recorded in the book of Ezra, and then builds what is called Zerubbabel's temple. Now, God has reversed this order. I said in the order in which it appears, it's Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. The order in which it actually occurred was Esther, Nehemiah, Ezra. You see, God's not concerned about the chronology so much as he is what his plans are in the use of chronology. You can read the book of Matthew, chapter 16. Who do men say that I am? You get the impression that happened at the beginning or at least in the middle of the ministry of Jesus. It didn't. It actually happened the week before he went to the cross. And so that can mess you up when you read the Bible. In this particular case, there's a reason for this chronology being put this way. In these three books established in the chronology in which they are placed in our Bible, the, way that, the order rather than which they're placed in our Bible, which is out of chronological order, we have the story, are you ready for this, on how to get out of captivity. Anybody in this building want to get out of captivity? Anybody in this building want to say to the enemy, you've chained me long enough. Chains are coming off. Hello, somebody, financial chains are coming off. Generational bondages are going to be broken here. Hallelujah, this is the story of how it begins. And the book of Ezra is put first because it concerns a rebuilding of the temple, when actually the temple was the last thing that was rebuilt. Why is it put first? Because if you're going to fix anything in your life, you need to get God and you fixed up together before you start working on the other stuff. I've seen so many people get that backward. I'm going to fix my life and then I'm going to go to God. That's like saying as soon as I get over cancer, I'm going to go check in the hospital. You don't do that. What you need to do is fix your problem with God. God will help you fix the rest. You need a divine breakthrough. That's what you need. Amen. You need God's intervention. Always God comes first. People say, I'm going to fix it, and I'm not going to bother about God. No, you're not. You're kidding yourself. You're not going to fix it until God's an integral part of your life. You need him every day. You need him when you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night. And you need him, you need him when you don't even know you need him. Can, can somebody say amen? amen? And then it came the rebuilding of the walls as we find in the book of Nehemiah, that's when once the church got built, which was the temple, then the walls had to be built. The walls were for the purpose of defense. Can I say this? The church has got it backwards. Amen. We haven't built our walls. Amen. We haven't even, we, we broke walls down. I mean, we've broken walls down trying to be friends with everybody. Welcome. I mean, I want to welcome everybody. I want everybody to feel at home, but I need you to understand this. The church is who we are. I'm going to say that again. The church is who we are. We need to defend the position that God has given us in the earth. Don't be so quick to give it up. What the church does, there's nobody else can do. Politicians can't do it. Social welfare reform programs can't do it. 
You know, self-help meetings can't do it. The church needs to realize this. The book of Nehemiah falls into two divisions. Stay with me because I'm still laying a groundwork and I'm going to be done just in a couple of minutes here. The first six chapters cover the reconstruction of the wall while chapters 7 through 13 deal with the reinstruction of its people because this is exactly what happens when you get saved. You come in and build your relationship with God. Next thing you got to know is you got to learn something else that changes what you learned in that past life because it's that stuff you learned in a fallen world that brought you to where you were at. Amen. Oh, God, help us to renew our minds. Amen. Amen. Walls symbolize many things. They symbolize division, for example. One of the greatest symbols and landmarks in the world in modern times was the Berlin Wall that has since been torn down, but there are pieces of it that remain everywhere, even in Berlin. It symbolized the division of a city. People died trying to climb that wall to be reunited with family. But walls, generally speaking, symbolize strength and protection. God, give us Nehemiahs that will build up the walls of America again. Give us Nehemiahs that will build the walls of the church. God, give us Nehemiahs that will build up the walls of our people and the structure of our society. Walls were tremendously important, tremendously important, that hostile and strange and and war-filled era in which people lived in those days. Consider, for example, the city of Babylon as recounted in the story of Daniel. Its walls were 380 feet thick, over 100 feet high, massive, tremendous walls. Therefore, the city of Babylon considered itself safe. Daniel was sent, sent to rebuild the walls or defenses of Jerusalem, a type of the church, which we need to understand. God is calling upon the church to rebuild its walls. We have let down in too many places. Too many breaches have broken open. Can I preach to you now? Amen. I'm talking right now. You listen? Amen. And do you know that if we do not, and one of the areas that, that we need help in is we need leadership. God send us leaders that are willing to stand on the front line and give themselves for the purposes that matter to you. Great and significant causes, the most important in the world, suffer and can falter because good leadership is absent and not present. Amen. There was a dearth of leadership. It's today. Consider, for example, the work that hospitals do. Consider, for example, the work of the Veterans Administration and the hospital network it supervises. It's extraordinarily important. Look at our veterans who have defended the liberties of this nation. And now they go to get medical treatment. And because they don't have good leadership, do you know what's happening? They're dying when they don't have to die. And somebody's refusing to take responsibility. Whether it's in the VA or outside the VA. I'm, I'm not casting stones at any one person. I'm talking about that's the general leadership climate of the world in which we live. And the good work they could do is hurt and thwarted because somebody's not leading efficiently and correctly. Having said that, there is no greater work that exists in the world, much greater, in fact, than that of the hospitals, uh, administrations of various hospital entities. The greatest work in the world is done by the church. Because you can go to a hospital and they can fix you up and you can live a few years longer. But what makes what we do so important is we affect you for all of eternity. And what we do affects your eternal destiny. Amen. That's right. Amen. We were sent to continue Christ's work. 
And what's happened in the world is affecting the church. Now we have a dearth of leadership in God's church in, in the earth today. That's what I've come to preach about. Ministries no longer have passion. Where's the leadership? Where are the Nehemiahs? Amen. Where there is poor leadership, children are not excited about church and therefore fail to be excited about knowing God. Can I make an observation? God is the most exciting and interesting person you've ever heard of in your life. You should, oh Lord, it ought to be a crime to talk about Jesus and not be excited about him when you talk about him because our God is awesome. I'm talking about the one that weighed the waters of the ocean in the palm of his hand and spoke worlds into existence. It's a crime for children to go to classrooms and churches where they don't walk out enthused and excited about God because there's poor leadership and outdated methods that are so far back in the past. Some churches still are using flannel boards for heaven's sakes. And I'm telling you, we need to come out of the stone ages as the church and rebuild some walls and stop blaming other people and do like Nehemiah and said, the buck stops right here. I'm taking my responsibility. Ministries that have no passion or fail to be structured in such a way that people are blessed and inspired hinder the greatest cause of, in the earth, the cause of Christ. Amen. Where there is no vision or where egos get in the way, people perish. We don't need people leading with egos, saying, here I am, notice me. We need folk to hide behind the cross and say, notice him. He's the one you need to get excited about. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Amen. We need ministries that relate to people and where they're living right now. Where there's inadequate leadership and worship. Worship fails to be fresh and engaging and fails to be cutting edge with what the Spirit is doing. And the cause of Christ is damaged. Worship ought to be the most exciting thing you ever had a chance to participate in. We need to feel God when we come to church. We need to have God encounters when we walk in the door. Oh, somebody ought to praise him right now. I said somebody ought to praise him right now. Somebody ought to praise him right now. I don't want to hear songs that have lost their anointing. I, you may wonder why our choir doesn't wear robes anymore. Because, honey, that went out 20 years ago. That's why we're trying to meet needs today in 2014. We need a church that has a now word, a ministry that can touch somebody where they're living right now. Somebody shout amen. Amen. And where there's inadequate leadership in the word that is preached. Amen. And the word is not a now word. A word that applies and is applicable to people's present need. And when it is delivered without the passion of Christ, it fails to impact those who hear it. This isn't a classroom at a university. This is God's church. You hear what I'm talking about. You can go and stretch back and lay out somewhere in a classroom, skip classes, but there ought to be something to get a hold of you when you walk in this place. And 
I'm sorry, I act like I'm on fire. I am on fire. I feel something burning. I feel something on the inside of me. I can't talk about Jesus like he was just somebody I met the other day. I know where he brought me from. I know what he did for me. I know how he turned my life around. Amen. You didn't drive up here in a Model T. You came up here in a modern automobile. You want to be current. You didn't wear bell bottoms and tie-dyed shirts this morning. Flower in your lapel piece, brother. That's not what you did. Uh-uh. You hear what I'm talking about? Yet some folk want the church to still be stuck back there. It's like an old Ronnie Millsap country and western song. Lost in the 60s. That's where the church still is. On some occasion, God give us some Nehemiahs that will build leadership within the church that will do ministry with excellence and with power and with authority and with anointing. People misquote the Bible all the time. Yes, they do. They say concerning the book of Genesis that the Lord came and walked with Adam in the cool of the day. Bible doesn't say any such thing. It said the voice of the Lord walked with Adam in the cool of the day. Did you get that? The voice is walking. The voice doesn't stand still. What the voice said 30 years ago, it's got a different emphasis right now. You don't want to get stuck back where God used to be. I need a proceeding word from God. Oh, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I need a word for right now. I need a word for June 2014. 